Now this series is a little bit different because what we're trying to do is we're trying to take an honest look at at families and our culture today. We're trying to take an honest look at uh, where God is calling us to to be as a as families. But we also are trying to acknowledge in the midst of this that um, not all families are alike. But in spite of that, we still face some of the same same issues. And today's message is a little different because it's entitled, The Monsters Under the Bed. Now, as adults, we, we, don't, we don't buy into this whole monsters under the bed thing, but we do have those nights, right, where we're laying in bed, everything is kind of kind of calm, we go to sleep, and for some reason we wake up and we're not sure if we heard a sound or something moved in the room. And so we kind of lay there really, really still, our hearts racing, we're trying to get our breathing down normal, and and we're kind of looking around the room, moving our eyes left and right, but we don't want to move. We don't want to turn over just in case there's someone there. And so we lay really, really still till we finally can't stand it any longer. And we flip on a light and we realize that that ominous form in the dark was just the, the jacket we threw over the back of the chair. Anybody? Maybe I'm the only one who's experienced that. Now, as we understand that sometimes the, the dark can play tricks on the mind a little bit. And, and if that works for us as, as adults, it's certainly true for kids. Kids, they're laying in bed for whatever reason. They've got this fear that there's someone in the, in the closet or there's something under the bed. And I have, as a dad, had to go check a time or two to make sure. And and what I found were probably toys and stuffed animals, a pair of shoes, maybe a lost sock or two, and no offense to Nancy's housekeeping, but probably a couple of dust bunnies. but no monsters. And we know as adults, okay, we've grown up, we understand that this monsters under the bed thing, that's just a child's active imagination. There's there's not really anything under there to be afraid of. But as adults, we also understand that this world is full of things that we could really be afraid of. They're not monsters under the bed. They are real, at least real potential threats. Real monsters out there. And we as parents and grandparents, we become concerned over those things. A Pew Research poll that was done in 2015, and we're going to put it up here. I don't know, you probably can't see this, but I just want to show you it is legit. A Pew Research poll that was done in 2015 Ask American parents the concerns that they had for their kids. And, and here's the, here's the list. 60% of them said they were concerned about their kids being bullied. 54% said that they were concerned that their kids might struggle with anxiety or depression. 50% said that they were concerned about their kids being kidnapped. 
45% said they were concerned about their child being beaten up or attacked. 43% about their child getting pregnant or getting a girl pregnant as a teenager. 41% concerned that they might have drug or alcohol problems. 31% that they get shot. 27% that they would get in trouble with the law. Now, these don't affect every family, but they do affect some families, and in fact, many families. I mean, if you've not struggled with some of these things with your kids and grandkids, then you know families that have. And so these things are very, very real. And it would be hard for us to address all of these concerns, but as we go along in this series, I hope that we are able to to touch on some of them. But today, I want to flip on the light switch because I think there are two monsters that never make the list. Never make a list like this. Two monsters that you and I, as Christian parents and grandparents, as believers in Jesus Christ and part of a church family, there are two monsters that we need to turn the light on and see this morning. Because these are real. And unlike the form in the darkness that kind of sends a chill up our spine, these may not send a chill up our spine, but we... We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our families. We owe it to our church family to be aware of these things and to do our best to confront these two monsters. And so let's look at one at a time. And and the first monster we're going to talk about, I've labeled it cultural creep. Now, oh, those are scary eyes, aren't they? Okay, I put the scary eyes up there because I want you to understand When we talk about a creep, we're not talking about when we call somebody a creep. Let me tell you what we're talking about. Okay. First of all, you need to understand what culture means. Because if if cultural creep's going to mean anything, then we need to understand the the term culture. So here's what we mean by culture. Uh, By culture, what we're saying is a social environment embraced by a group of people that involves a shared language, belief system, custom values, things like that. In other words, a culture is a a group of people who identify and share a number of things together. And so we actually have an American culture. Now, it is splintered and scattered, and it looks different in different places. You know, for instance, we kind of got a a southern culture. It's so neat to hear people who move here from other places talk about uh, you know, people letting them in line and opening doors for them and saying please and thank you and all those kinds of things. It, yeah, so we have kind of a culture here and, and, and the West Coast has a culture and, and the Northeast has a culture and the Midwest has a culture and Florida has its own thing going on. So there are all kinds of cultures, but there are things that we as American in American culture share together. There are some dominant features of American culture. So when we talk about cultural creep, we're not talking about a person. Instead, we're talking about the way the culture works its way into the lives of believers, into Christian homes, and into even the church of Jesus Christ. And works its way in in a manner that the cultural values, in other words, those things that the culture says are important. Those things that the culture says have value, that those things begin to dominate 
biblical truth and Christian values. They begin to displace them and replace them so that the American culture becomes more important to us than biblical values and biblical culture. So there's this, this, this creeping. Uh, maybe I should have put a picture of kudzu up. We, we, if you, you've been in the South long enough, you, you know about kudzu and, and kudzu seems so mild and innocuous and green and leafy, but I gotta tell you that it, it goes everywhere. And it's hard to stop it, and it, it, it's hard to uproot it, it's hard to get rid of it. And, and a cultural creep is a lot like cultural kudzu. Maybe we could have called it that. Because it creeps and it seeps and it moves and it grows and it, it's, it's just insistent and it's persistent and it just won't quit. So what does the Bible have to say about confronting that that culture out there, that American culture, or if you were living in another country, what that culture might be like. Does the Bible say anything to that? And yes, it does. And I'd like us to turn our attention to 1 John. Now, 1 John is different than the Gospel of John, although it's the same author. It's much, much further back in your Bible, much further to the right. So if you're looking for it right now, here's the easiest way to find it. Go to the end of your Bible, open it up. You'll probably have some maps and a concordance. Keep going back. You'll find the book of Revelation. Don't be afraid. Just keep moving a little bit back to the right. If you move back far enough, and it's just a few pages, you're going to run into three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Okay, we're going to be looking at the first of those. They're very short books, so they only have a few pages in those. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to be looking at 1st John. Chapter 2, and I'd like us to focus on verses 15 to 17 and hear what this, this disciple of Jesus Christ, one of the inner circle of Jesus, what he has to say to us today. First John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, and this is what we read. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so here's the, here's the danger. Love for the world and the things of the world can replace our love for the Father and the things of God. we got to get this. Because this is the danger of cultural creep. That is, our love for the world, our love for the things of the world can displace our love for God and displace our love for the things of God. Now, what is this, this, this concept of world or cosmos in the Greek? What is this? This is not talking about the earth that we walk on. It's not talking about the people who live on the earth. Instead, this word is talking about what we could say is the way of the world, the customs of the world, the way the world works, the world as a system. And so we're being warned here not to fall in love with the ways of the world, that is the culture in around us, or to fall in love with the things of the world, that is those things that the world considers as most 
value. Why? Because these things are most often in direct conflict with the things of God. If we choose to place our affections in that which the culture around us sees as being most important, most valuable, then we will attribute less value to the things that God's Word tells us actually have more value. It begins to water down, diminish the biblical values, and we begin to adopt the values of the culture around us. Jesus reminds us, what good will it be if someone were to gain the whole world and yet to forfeit their soul? You can spend your entire life chasing after those things that the world says are is important, that the world says is a value, that the world says needs to be in your life. And at the end, you find that it just slips through your fingers like grains of sand at the beach. It just, just falls all to pieces. And you end up with, with nothing. And yet, people, listen, people spend their entire lives pursuing this. Families spend everything in order to try to, to fit in with this mold, this concept of what family life ought to be. And there's some families represented here who are running themselves ragged trying to keep up with what the world says is most important. They're absolutely wearing themselves out. They're burning the candle at both ends and in the middle in order to try to do everything and to give their kids everything so that the, at the because they think that's what they ought to do. And so they're, hey, listen, they're out there running around on the soccer field carrying a tuba because that's what parents think, hey, that's what I got to do. I got to measure up. I've got to, I've got to fit this mold instead of stepping back and saying, hey, wait a minute. What would, what would Jesus have to speak into my family's life right now? Listen, most of the time we don't even think about that because we are so busy trying to pursue what the culture around us, not necessarily a bad culture, but what the culture around us says, this is most important. And we've lost sight of what's truly, truly most important. And we're constantly being seduced by the ads that we see on TV, by the songs that we hear on the radio, by social media. Listen, I have a Facebook account. I have a Twitter account, and I have an Instagram account. But I can tell you right now, parents and grandparents, that both you and your children and grandchildren are being affected and impacted by what they see on social media. They are. They're being told right there what is of most value in the world. And sadly, many of them are buying it. I am absolutely, listen, I am astounded at uh, what is, I don't, I don't watch a lot of just what's on normal TV um, because it's not normal. But there are some shows that I think are far, it, it's, it's gone far worse. I remember um, in, uh, when I was in high school, 
Uh, Robin Leach had a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Some of you remember that. Okay. Well, it's gotten worse since then. I Honestly, these shows, they basically are about people who've gotten famous for being famous. I don't know how you work that out, but they do. But th- those are the images that our kids and our grandkids and even us as adults, we see those and go, that's what I need to strive for. That's what I need to go for. That's what I need to attain. That is the life. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that is the life. And you've got yourself all wound up and all knotted up thinking, I've got to have this for me. I've got to have this for my kids. And I've got to have this for my grandkids. And if they don't get it, and if I don't get it, then life is simply going to fall apart. And I'm here to tell you the reason it's the life is actually falling apart right now is because this is what we are pursuing. Let me ask it this way. Let's suppose a person came from outer Mongolia. They knew nothing about our American culture at all, but they had learned enough to speak English, to understand English. Let's suppose that a, a lady from outer Mongolia got on a plane and flew in and hung around the United States, hung around our community, just that little small community, hung around our community for the period of a few weeks. And then you ask that person, ma'am, what do you think are the most important things to the people who live here? What do you think is the most valuable to them? What do you think they're really trying to achieve in life? And then ask this question. Based on what you see, what do you think they worship? Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So based on what you see, based on what you observe, what do you think they worship? What do you think they believe is most Important. You see, human beings were designed for worship. God made us that way. And sadly, we choose to worship the wrong things. And our culture is all too happy to help us worship the wrong things. But this isn't a new thing. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised Amen. As Christian men and women, as Christian parents and grandparents, you are responsible to be the guardians of your household. You are responsible to be the gatekeeper. Now, I can go ahead and tell you up front, you're not going to be able to put your home on lockdown. You're not going to be able to have a complete media blackout. That's not realistic. But you need to provide the filter for the way your child, the way your grandchild views the culture around them. And in order to provide that filter, you've got to have it. And if you're not spending time with God, if you're not spending time in His Word, if you're not spending time in prayer, if you're not spending time with your church family so that together you can analyze this culture 
and, and put it through a biblical filter, you're going to have a hard time providing that biblical filter for your kids and for your grandkids. They do not, I don't care what they tell you, they are not smarter than you are. Now they can work all the gizmos and gadgets. Hey, listen, some of you, I promise you, if I went in your home, you would still have a VCR and it would still be flashing 12. I understand. You can't wait for the grandkids to get there because you've got all your techno stuff and you're going, hey, fix this. So in some ways, yes, they know a little more than you do. In some ways, yes, they're smarter than you, but you have lived longer. You have seen, you have seen where the roads that they're going to put their feet on lead. And you, you, you are responsible to be that filter. You're responsible to be that gatekeeper. You're responsible to be that guardian. Don't, listen, there's no way, no way, I know you, there's no way that you would go off to New York City or go off even to Atlanta, Georgia, downtown, and you just let go of your five-year-old, your six-year-old, and said, hey, meet me back here in four hours. You go, that's insane. Nobody would do that. And yet, you flip on the computer, you flip on the television, you give them a cell phone, an iPad, whatever it is, and you have no idea where they're going. What I'm here to tell you is if you don't provide a filter for them, the world will. The culture will. It's called cultural creep, and it will seep into every aspect of your family life. And ultimately, like kudzu, will creep into the life of the church so that we can't tell the difference between what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a part of our culture. There's a, there's a second monster, though, that I want to I wanna remind you of, and, and this one is similar, but but different. This monster is called cultural Christianity. And this one might knock you a little bit off your pins because it sounds like this isn't so bad. What is cultural Christianity? Well, cultural Christianity is a term that defines a culture that adopts the basic behaviors and language of the Christian faith, but does not necessarily hold to its core beliefs. In other words, it looks like on the outside Christianity. It has the resemblance, the semblance to Christianity, but on the inside, it looks totally different. Jesus confronted a lot of this with the Pharisees, of course. But you might be asking, why is that so bad? I mean, if a person wants to call themselves a Christian, what is the big deal with that? If a person wants to pack their kids up on the summer and send them to six or seven or eight vacation Bible schools, what's the problem with that? If a person wants to show up from time to time at church and put a little money in the basket, what is the problem with that? What is the problem with someone who just wants to label themselves as a Christian? That does not sound so monstrous. Let me go back to another Pew Research poll done in 2014. They did a poll on religion in America And what they found was that 70.6% of 
of Americans identified themselves as Christian. Now, on the, on the surface, you look at that and go, woo, that's awesome. Seventy, seven out of ten people said, I am a Christian. Man, that sounds so good. We're winning the war. Onward, Christian soldiers. We're, we're, we're there. But then they dug a little deeper and they asked questions. And I've just pulled one of those questions out. How many of you believe in God? And only 63% said, I believe in God. Now, you ask me how this adds up, how this computes. That you'd have 70, over 70% said, I'm a Christian, but only 63% said, I believe in God. How can you be a Christian if you don't even believe in God? And that didn't even get to the doctrine, the New Testament doctrines. That's just believing in God. So we got people who say, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in God. Andy, uh, not Andy Stanley, David Platt was right. David Platt, you, you may know him. He's written a number of books. Uh, he's pastor at Church of Brook Hills. He's currently the president of North American Mission Board. But David Platt was right. He said, we're living in a day when it means almost nothing to be a Christian. You can make up your own definition. And I'm telling you, that is cultural Christianity. It's not the real thing. It is a fake. It is a fraud. It is a something disguised as being Christian, but it's not. It's Christian in name only. And there's nothing on the inside. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do, he says, with such people. You may want to go back and take a look at that list. Because i got to tell you, and I'm sure it's not just the American culture now. There have been other, other cultures who've had the same issues. But I'll read through that list and I can check it off. I can just go down and check it off. Yep, that's where we live. That's the world in which we live. That's the culture in which we live. Just check them off, every one of them, right on down the line. Every one. And what does Paul says? He said, it has a form of godliness. What does that mean? It has the shape of the resemblance to godliness, but it has no power. Now listen, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm not trying to point my fingers and make accusations at anyone. I don't want you just going out feeling guilty. But I do think it is my responsibility as a pastor, especially if I'm talking to parents and grandparents, and many of you are. It's my responsibility to warn you that your kids may right now be afraid of monsters under the bed, but you as parents need to be concerned about these monsters. The culture creeping into your family life, creeping into your home, creeping into your church, 
You need to be concerned about that, and you need to be concerned about cultural Christianity. That is, not just growing up kids and grandkids who have a form of godliness, who call themselves Christian. You want to do more for your kids. Jesus said, and this is the reason, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Listen, these words of Jesus should stop us in our tracks and give us pause. Not everyone who says, I'm a Christian, is going to make it. I mean, we should have been able to see that from that pew pole. If you can't even say, I believe in God, just calling yourself a Christian, just wearing the label doesn't get you in. My dad uh, was a police officer, became chief of police in our little hometown. And um, I had friends in school who whose parents made a little more money than my dad did. My mom was a bookkeeper and and we, we made it. It was okay. We didn't go to school barefooted and, you know, uh, you know, we just, you know, we, we had clothes to wear. We had a roof over our heads. We had food to eat. It, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad existence at all, but my friends had these little shirts that had alligators on them. You know what I'm talking about? These, these Lacoste shirts. And I wanted one of those things so bad. They were expensive. They're still expensive. I still don't own one because now I have to pay for it. And I understand. But I wanted one. We had our, our house uh, burned, about half of the house burned, and uh, that included uh, my room, my brother's room burned up. Um, so we had to start over. And so we were those who were on the receiving end from people who were bringing clothes to the house. And and. One shirt in that bag had an alligator on it. And I wore that shirt. I wore that shirt a lot. I wore that shirt out. And when I wore that shirt out, I got out my pocket knife and I cut that gator off of it. I did. And I gave that alligator to my mama and I said, you put this on another shirt. It wasn't a real Lacoste shirt. It just had the form of that kind of shirt. A little tag, a little label. And I'm very concerned that many people who wear the label Christian all they've done is they've cut that off of what they've seen. They've slapped it on something that's, that's not real, but they wear that label. And they're counting on that label 
in order for them to enter into the kingdom. And labels don't do it. Cultural Christianity, just calling yourself a Christian, it won't do it. It won't get you in. It has no power. We're not talking about doing good works. We're not talking about trying to earn our way. We're not talking about any of that. What I'm trying to tell you is that cultural Christianity doesn't have the power to save a soul. Cultural Christianity won't transform us. Cultural Christianity will not fulfill the Great Commission. Cultural Christianity couldn't care less about the Great Commission. Cultural Christianity will never change the world because all it wants to do is go along with the world and just wear the right label. Cultural Christianity will never keep us from hearing Jesus say, I never knew you. You see, folks, that is what is most important for you and for your kids and for your grandkids. I'm begging you, want more for your kids than to just grow up and stay out of jail. Want more for your kids than to just grow up and graduate from high school or graduate from college. Want more for your kids than just getting them a good job so that they can make a living and move out of your house. Want more for your kids than just have them get married and give you a lot of grandkids. Want more. Want them to faithfully follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Don't just settle for them wearing a label. It's not about simply behaving the right way. It's about in the power of Jesus Christ becoming the person that God has created us to be. So monsters under the bed, that shouldn't scare us. And to be honest, we shouldn't be afraid of cultural creep or afraid of a cultural Christianity. But we need to be alert and we need to be aware and we need to be on our guard and we need to have the full armor of God so that we can fight this battle on behalf of our kids and on behalf of our grandkids. Cultural creep is real and it's really, really impacting our families, our kids, our grandkids and our churches. It's watering down the gospel and it's replacing that of true value with something of false value. Cultural Christianity is real and it is monstrous in that it gives us a false sense of security. Jesus tells a story of the last time when everybody's standing before the judgment seat and on one side are the sheep and on the other side are the goats. Now the sheep are the ones who are going to get in and the Goats are the ones who are going to miss out. But the goats are shocked. Because they said, listen, we did things that looked like Christians. 
We wore the right label. Jesus will turn to them and with no joy in his heart at all, will say, depart from me. I don't know you. And so the question I have for you right now as parents and grandparents, does Jesus know you? You're going to have an awfully hard time providing a a biblical filter for your kids and your grandkids if you don't start as a follower of Jesus Christ. Does Jesus know you? I didn't ask if you knew about Jesus. I didn't even ask you if you knew what the gospel was. I'm asking if you yourself are known by Jesus. And if you cannot say yes to that, I want to encourage you this morning, do not leave this room until you know. And we have men and women who would love to talk with you about what that means. And we as a church family want to do all we can to help you adults not only follow Jesus, but to help those who are coming after you to follow Jesus. To know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is a time of invitation and challenge. I invite you who need to know Jesus to come to Jesus. Come discover what it means not to be artificial, but to be the real thing. But I also want to encourage you parents and grandparents who are currently struggling. You're trying to balance everything. You're trying to help. You're trying to lead your kids in the right direction. But you're struggling, and you know you're struggling. I want to invite you just to use this time to come and pray. To come and get on your knees before God and say, God, help me to be the gatekeeper, to be the guardian for my kids, to fight the battle for my kids on my knees, to provide for my kids what is true, help them understand what's truly of value. Keep them from falling victim to the creep of culture and to this artificial cultural Christianity itself. I want to pray and then we're going to sing a final song. If you need to respond by coming to Jesus or you just need to come and pray, whatever it is you need this morning, This will be your time. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. It doesn't always speak things that are easy for us to hear. It can be really challenging for us. And Lord God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would would speak to our hearts. If there are those who are convinced today that what they have is not the real thing, but some poor substitute, who've been content to live with the label of Christian, but really know in their hearts that if that judgment day were today, they would not hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your Father's rest. But instead would hear, depart from me. I never knew you. For if there are those who need Jesus more than anything else this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide them to embrace Him as Savior and Lord of their lives. Lord, their parents who are struggling, their grandparents who are concerned, 
I pray this might be a time where men and women will fall on their knees before You and beseech You, the God of heaven, the God of all grace and mercy, to work in the hearts and the lives of these children, teenagers, maybe even adult children, to draw them to You, to not let them settle for a substitute, to let them find the real Jesus. Lord, I pray that You would use this time now to call us all to follow You wherever You would lead us. For this is my prayer in the Jesus' name. Amen.